have to ask, did you get a second opinion? Because that sounds like quackery to me that somebody would say, you have to give up coffee. <laughs> Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. This episode is sponsored by Thing. The Seattle Theater Group and Sasquatch Festival founder Adam Zacks present Thing. From August 26th through the 28th at Historic Fort Warden in Port Townsend, you can enjoy a vast musical lineup, including Jungle, Modest Mouse, Father John Misty, and many more. The Thing Festival features two primary stages overlooking the Puget Sound, not to mention a variety of camping and parking accommodations. You can either book a one-day or three-day pass, and kids 12 and under are free, making this an event for the whole family. Come enjoy live music, art, and beautiful Fort Warden with us. To find out all the details, visit thingnw.org. All right, well, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. This is take two with Carol and Eric. <laughs> We uh, we sat down in the roastery a while ago, and um, well, I'll admit it, I forgot to turn on a microphone, so whole episode was ruined by me. But we're talking coffee, and specifically today, we're talking decaf coffee with Talking Crow Roaster. So, Carol, would you? I'll kick it to you first. Why decaf? Why decaf? Well. <laughs> It kind of started when uh, my health started to take a dive and I was given the dreaded news of you need to give up coffee. And I didn't like that news so much. So uh, my option, of course, was decaf, but it didn't taste great. And I wasn't really thrilled with that option either. I didn't like the chemicals. I didn't like the taste. And so um, we decided that as a roastery, selfishly, <laughs> but also because we know there's a big need out there that we would focus on crafting exceptional decaf for people who are caffeine conscious um, and either want to limit it in the afternoon or can't have it at all, but still love to have a really great cup of coffee. I have to ask, did you get a second opinion? Because that sounds like quackery to me that somebody would say, you have to give up coffee. <laughs> Um, well, I did not get a second opinion just simply because of some, I'm kind of okay. a reader and, um, I, I kind of knew that she was on the right track, even though I felt like I was in denial, like, you know, <laughs> literally the five stages of denial, you know, grieving and anger and all the things. But, um, instead of just wallowing in that, we decided to do something about and it. And I, I actually applaud you. I, I kid, you know, cause when we had talked before, you know, we, you know, there was this saying back in the day, you know, death before decaf and, um. And rightly so, because, you know, um, I have to say there's a lot of yucky decaf out there, which is what I experienced, right. and it's not satisfying. No. And when you have had regular coffee that tastes really good, you know what you're missing. And so it makes it even harder. Yeah, nothing, you know, it, I think we, any of us that have had coffee at all in our lives, we've probably sat somewhere, let's say a diner, and let's say it's in the afternoon, you go, oh, I'd like some decaf. And, you know, what they bring to you is either, been on the burner for like three hours and in motor oil would taste better or it's cold and yep well, that tastes better than the burnt motor oil flavor 
Yeah. Yeah. Or it's sort of been ground coffee from I don't know where or how long. And so it's not fresh right. either. So help you know. me out here. Had you, had you started going down your coffee roasting journey before the diagnosis? Okay. Yes. So, um, a friend of ours, son got, was kind of getting into, um, home coffee roasting and he was playing with it. Right. And, um, so I being, you know, kind of an entrepreneur, I was like, you know, Carol, I don't think the industry I'm in is going to keep me afloat very much longer. So I need to look for something that, um, could sustain us, you know, um, at, at for the long haul, uh, kind of a retirement type job, you know? So I proposed to Carol, I said, what do you think of coffee roasting? And she was like, huh, that sounds kind of cool. And this is, this is before she was diagnosed with this, with this issue. And so I, and she was like, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And I said, but I said, you know, I, I'm the type of person I like to research things and find out, you know, if it's really worth doing before investing a lot of time and energy into it. So, um, I searched out different, you know, um, ways to become a coffee roaster and a coffee roastery and discovered the, um, uh, specialty coffee associations, um, uh, website and how they offered classes on learning how be a Q grader all the way to a, to a coffee roaster. Yeah. Right. So I was like, Hey, let's take this introductory class that kind of encompasses it all. And then we'll know better. You know, we'll know better if we, if this is something that she and I can do together and, um, make into a business. And that's kind of where our, our trajectory started. Um, and then from there, our first classes were at the Swiss water plant up in Burnaby, Canada. And so here we're at the Swiss water plant. Um, she has um, now been told that, you know, she's got to give up caffeine. Um, and so she's been drinking regular decaf off the shelf, right? So we go to take these classes and one of the, the, the classes we have to take is cupping coffee and, you know, um, and so we started cupping all these different coffees and, um, in those coffees were decafs and she kind of determined that certain decaf methods attributed to other issues she was having, um, and found that drinking the Swiss water decaf method didn't bring on these other issues. So that made us look more deeply into the, the Swiss water method. And because we were there, we took advantage of learning as much as we can about their process and um, their market. Before, okay, let me ask you a question. So before all of this, how much coffee were you drinking daily? Are you Were you heavy coffee drinkers? Were you... What's that? What's that? Is that... Uh, is how, that how many oh. cu- how many cups of coffee? Do yeah, you how many cups of coffee were you drinking before this all started? Were you a heavy coffee drinker or casual coffee drinker? I was a okay. heavy coffee drinker. I've always been a heavy okay. coffee drinker. Okay, I, I my dad owned owned a soda jerk shop when I was a kid, and we had the the pots of coffee on the burner all the time. <laughs> um, and so I started, 
you know, drinking coffee at an early age, but it was, you know, farmer's brothers, you know, drip, you know, so, but I, and then, um, my careers, um, as I went along were all careers that had always coffee in them. I was a commercial diver, ship captain. So you always had coffee. Right. Um, and so that's kind of where I, you know, have always had coffee in my bloodstream. <laughs> um, Carol, on the other hand, let you talk. Yeah, I didn't start drinking coffee until my college days as kind of necessity to get through all night cram sessions and stuff. And then, and, and I drank it with cream and sugar because I didn't love it. Um, I grew to love it. And then kind of as in, you know, my having children years and, you know, a lot less sleep, I probably had easily you know, a latte or two a day, sometimes three, depending on if I was out and about here in Washington state, you know, of course there's latte stands on almost every corner. So it's no hard thing to just drive through and grab a pick me up, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. I don't consider that necessarily like as much as Eric drank, but it was enough to cause me some trouble. Okay. So. So you're taking these courses through this, you're exposed to the Swiss water method. Carol, you find that it doesn't give you the health challenges that the traditional decaf can provide. Great. You've, you've figured this yeah, out, but true. when, okay. When did you guys decide, okay, let's go forward with this. Let's, let's go all in. Let's, let's roast and let's open this company. Probably after that first class. Yeah, I feel like um, there were, so we went up to the, there a couple of, on a couple of different occasions um, and they were all immersive and it was a lot of information. So the first time we went up, I think I hadn't been diagnosed. So I had a extreme adrenal fatigue. That's what I was suffering okay. from. So I was already really tired and um, just uh, with a lot of brain fog. And so having these classes with so much information was super overwhelming initially for me. And I was a little nervous about, you know, kind of what we were getting into. I wanted to proceed, but was like, wow, this is just, this is a lot. I need to almost step back and kind of like absorb what I've learned, you know? And then, uh, I felt like it got easier. And, um, when we went back for this, for like another round of classes, Um, I think by then I had been diagnosed and by then I had discovered. So what I was suffering with, I I was just buying, like Eric said, grocery store coffee that was um, decaffeinated. But I would get this really odd feeling like I had a lump in my throat, but there was no lump there. Almost like I was just like choking on something, but I wasn't choking. It was kind of a weird sensation. And at first I thought maybe it was the dairy that I was adding to my coffee. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go off dairy and that's probably it. And what a bummer, but whatever. But then it was still happening with that. um, And so without dairy. So then when we were up at Swiss Water and I drank their coffee exclusively, I didn't have that feeling. And that was really like a light bulb moment. And then it kind of, everything kind of clicked, like gears clicked together because I felt like I cannot be the only person that is not just caffeine sensitive, but now chemical sensitive too. And I know what relief I felt when I tasted really good coffee that didn't, ups, you know, just didn't upset the problems. And I, I kind of, I mean, yes, I wanted it for myself, but I really wanted to bring that to the coffee community. Like, Hey, 
you don't have to be excluded. You can enjoy this too. If you still want to have coffee in your life, but you're suffering from either anxiety or other health issues like I was, you can still potentially have it and enjoy it and it not going to cause you troubles or regrets or anything. So I feel like it was that second round of classes where we kind of just looked at each other like, we think we found a place where we can make a difference in this community because like, you know, you're in Washington state. There are a lot of coffee roasters in Washington and um, they all do a fabulous job with coffee. Like they're, they're great. And so um, we were looking for a way that we could stand out and be different. And we felt like we had a story to back it up. Like we had a reason to pursue this Avenue. So. Okay. I joke. We'll just, we're going to, skip through the easy part of opening a business because there's, you know, that's, you make a decision, you just do it and next day you're open. So we're going to go, th- <laughs> sure. we're going to skip through all of that. I, and there's a huge story there, I know, but let's, let's just skip through that. I, the question I didn't, I don't think I asked you last time and this time I, I wanted to make sure I asked. So Eric, you're the roaster. Inherently, Correct. is there any difference with the final product from a, from an air roaster versus what, you know, the more traditional gas fired roasters, the product would, can you taste a difference? Yes. Okay. Yes. You can, can you explain that first um, off for us? Yeah. So, so um, with a traditional roaster, it's, you have a drum roaster, correct? And um, the beans are uh, put into the drum and then rotated um, and, and cooked to perfection mm-hmm. that way, you know? Um, what that um, imparts into the, the bean is um, a little bit more of a um, slower development um, time because um, it takes longer for them to come up to um, a medium or a medium dark and so on and okay. so forth. So you have a, a whole different um, flavor spectrum within a drum roaster. Okay. Um, air roaster. Um, you have the ability to um, speed that process up in the sense of your development time is is shortened, but your um, uh, flavor enhancements are um, a little bit more um, pronounced. Um, So what happens is if I go, my medium roast will have um, a a lot more of this... uh, lighter undertone flavors um, than a than a drum roaster okay. will have okay drum roaster will have more of the um, uh, real robust flavors and you know more of the the dark chocolates and the tobaccos and the in the things that just say coffee whereas um, I've experienced that the the air roasters bring out a lot of more of the the floral and fruity and um, more delicate, um, flavors. Um, and, and I think it's, like I said, it's in part on how the, the, the time from, um, with rise of roast, right? So, um, uh, it's, it's within a shorter time I'm, I'm getting the first crack than, um, a drum roaster would give me. Well, and because with the drum roaster, you have conductive heat, but with an air roaster, you only have convective heat. A drum roaster has both, but the air roaster only has convective heat. So it's a little different because it's not sitting on hot equipment. Yeah. 
So you, you, you have, uh, so other thing is you, you don't get the scorching um, like you would with a drum okay. roaster. Um, so, you know, it, it, um, the drum roaster will knock more of the chaff off. Um, air roasters don't it, um, um, remove as much chaff as, as quickly and efficiently. So um, a lot of times you'll, when, you know, you go, go and get your coffee and you open up, you're going to find that there's still a lot of chaff still on the bean. Um, but that, you know, it, it doesn't change, the chaff really doesn't change the flavor uh, per se. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, those are kind of the differences. Right. Like I said, we're skipping through the whole business thing. So I'm going to give you the next starting point. Your roastery is set up. You have passed all of your state mandates and hurdles and all of that and the inspections and all that. And you are ready to, you're ready to produce your first commercial batch of coffee. Okay. So we skipped over, you know, a day or two's worth of work. Let's <laughs> actually, I can joke about that, but answer this question first. How long did it take you in this process to go from, we're going to start a roastery to, we are now an open functioning legal business in the state of Washington. Two years. Yeah, it took two took years. Two full years. Okay, so we've just skipped through two years of your life. Boom. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what if you? I don't know. Do you remember your first batch? What was what? What beans did you roast the first time? Uh, our first batch was Ethiopian. Okay. Yeah, and um, the first purchasers were friends and family. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I had yeah. a dear friend whose husband worked for the Department of Water and Power in California, and uh, he gave out office Christmas gifts, and we happened to kind of open our doors for our first sale for that Black Friday of that, that 2018, and so she purchased bags to give as part of the Christmas gift so that year, which was a great coffee's start Coffee's a wonderful us. Christmas present. It's Coffee's the appropriate present at any yeah. time. At any time. Exactly. For any occasion. Okay. So yeah. your first batch was Ethiopian. Did yep. it? My favorite. Now be honest. Did it taste as good as you expected? No. Okay. Why? Um, what was I mean, lacking? Because, I mean, it was it was one of those things where, you know, I had um, a good friend of ours, uh, Velton, um, uh, gave me a bag of Burundi when I first got my roaster to help me get it dialed in and, and so on and so forth. Um, that coffee we didn't sell. We just, I just burned mm -hmm. it up and tested it and, and, and that kind of thing. Right. Um, and so at that point I can, you know, roast the Burundi, but I hadn't roasted any other coffees. Um, so I, when I brought in the Ethiopia and roasted that, it took me, you know, a couple of batches to get it, you know, dialed in, but it wasn't a hundred percent dialed okay. in. Um, you know, it, there, there were still little things that, that didn't, you know, I didn't bring out as much flavor as I, as I do okay. now, you know, well, I was going to say that's like hindsight is always sure. 2020, you know, you look back and you think, 
oh, wow, because now we have something to compare it to what we currently do. And we're really pleased with what we're producing right. now. So but at the time, I think we thought it was good. Yeah, I mean, it, it was good. I mean, it was it was very flavorful, um, but it's not as flavorful as as I do now. And it's really cool. I, 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 I have impeccable notes of <laughs> my first roast to what I roast now. So I can actually look at it, look at the data and go, okay, now I know why this roast didn't bring out all the flavors. You know, um, my charge temp was too high. You know, there's all these different factors that I can, I can look at to compare it to that very first roast. And I mean, that's, that's, I think that's, that's part of learning this business and learning how to be a roaster. It's like, it's, it's very artistic and geeky. Um, so, you know, um, I bet you Picasso's first painting wasn't his, best. but it was still a Picasso. Yeah. You know, yeah. His, his mom might not have hung right. it on the refrigerator though. I mean, I don't know. I don't exactly. Know. Okay. Exactly. So you started with Ethiopian. That's an interesting, um, to me, that's an interesting choice to start with. Um, just, well, Burundi's an African coffee as right. well. So we wanted to start with something that was similar. Okay. Um, but Burundi coffee can often have a potato defect in it, which is not desirable. So we didn't want to um, chance that coffee. Like that wasn't something that we wanted in our sure. offerings, but we wanted to offer Ethiopian coffee. So that's kind of how we arrived at that okay. decision. For for the audience that we're talking about your first batch and all of these things, let's let's help and give them some context. What what is what was your first batch? Uh, kilos pounds? Probably you know for me, please keep it in pounds because I can't do the kilo thing conversion. But um, how many pounds of coffee are we talking about in in a batch? About ten pounds. So even if you would have burnt them beyond recognition. It's 10 pounds of coffee. It's not the end of the world, right? Okay. Correct. Not, not that you want to do that, but okay. So you're roasting about 10 pounds of coffee at a time. And it took you a couple of times to dial it into where you were like becoming satisfied with the initial output. Okay. Correct. And then you had a friend in California. Holidays. Okay. Friends and family. When did the, when did the word start getting out? Because here you are, you're in a coffee-rich environment, Washington State. Like you said, how many, how many coffee roasters are there in Washington? Right, there's a lot, and then, but you're gonna you're gonna Thank specialize you. in decaf, which puts you in a small small group. When did the word get out? Well, it was interesting. We had um, in the course of just. Um, meeting with people to start our business, you know, we would meet at coffee shops. There was a new coffee shop that started in Everett called Narrative Coffee. And we befriended the owner there and he, uh, he offers uh, cuppings. So once a month you can submit your coffee and he cups it with his team and it's totally like anonymous. We get our number. He, so it's a blind cupping. He doesn't know who is who. And he scores your coffee. And um, it's, it's just helpful for us because it's like um, 
uh, an objective opinion on how our coffee's doing. Well, he really, really thought we did an exceptional job on decaf. So he had our coffee in his store um, as espresso option for decaf, but also our coffee bags, our whole bean coffee for sale on the shelf. So that really helped. And that gave us some visibility um, because he hosted the two um, gentlemen that um, run Sprudge. I don't know if you're familiar with that coffee um, industry. It's like a it's like a publication and it's an online publication as well. Um, And they they came, they produced a book called um, The New Rules of Coffee And they were there for a book signing. So I met them. And one of the gentlemen was like, hey, I really like what you're doing with decaf. We think you've got a great, a great mission and a great, um, we just really like what you're doing. And so um, I think they tucked that in their back pocket and they did a big spread on different um, decaf, predominantly decaf roasters. And we were featured in that article and that gave us some traction as well. Um, and, a lot of traction. And so we were, we were at we were at a coffee fest event um, when that Sprudge article came out, and all of a sudden my phone's going crazy with sales, and I'm like, uh, "What just happened? <laughs> you know, what's what's going on?" And then I found out that this Sprudge article just was released, and um, and it was it was pretty amazing. You know, it's like. Here we were like, you know, selling, you know, one or two bags and then all of a sudden we're getting like 35 bags, 40 bags of coffee going out in one day. And it was, it was pretty, it, it was pretty exciting, right. you know? Um, and, uh, yeah. And I think those two things really helped us. And then the third thing was, um, we started doing some farmers markets just so that we could meet the people in person and educate them on why our decaf is different and how it's different. And I think that makes a difference too, because People really do want to buy local and shop small if it's a product that they believe in. Otherwise, you know, it's, um, it, it, you know, why not just buy cheaper at the grocery store? You know, everybody's watching their pennies, mm-hmm. right? But when they understand the difference in quality coffee and, and what we're doing and all the things, um, it makes a big difference. So I think that's been helpful, too, because we've been able to, um, like I said, educate them on not all decaf is the same and, and it doesn't have to be bad. You know, you don't have to settle. I want to go back to the narrative um, coffee shop and their cupping. When they were cupping your coffee, did they know that they were cupping decaf? Um, I, you know, I'm not, I think he did. I think he does two separate cuppings. I think he cups regular one way. I mean, this is the same process, but I think he does separate them out. So he might have, but everybody that submits coffee can submit both regular and decaf. Um, So there's plenty to choose from as far as like, we wouldn't have been the only decaf there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think a lot of roasters, um, typically from what I've seen, you know, every roaster will offer one decaf. Mm-hmm. And so I think they submit that one as well to make sure that they have it, you know, that they have a good option for those people. But that's another aspect where we chose to be different because sure, the one option is nice, but in a coffee shop, it's not always offered. Like if I want to go and have a pour over coffee, that's not available as a decaf. You know, I can't experience coffee the same way that Eric can when we go together. 
And so we, that's why we offer single origin decaps only. And we offer, currently we have 10 different ones. So that's different. Nobody offers that kind of selection. And, um, and, and I think that's what Maxwell was impressed with as well. You know, it wasn't just one, it was a lot. So you you answered a question I was going to ask. So you're, you're up to 10, 10 varieties right now, (laughs) single origin. How long has it taken you to go from the initial Ethiopian to the to the ten that you're currently roasting? And has it been challenging it, to find green beans that are Swiss water processed? Yes, that's that's the biggest challenge is to find um, specialty coffee that um, has gone through the Swiss water process. Um, and that's, I mean, that we're always on the lookout for that. Um, and that's, I mean, we won't have a Kona or a Maui or a Jamaican Blue Mountain from Jamaica because they won't send them up there, you know. Um, but we will have, um, you know, other um, uh, varietals like Colombia and Brazil and Ethiopia and um sumatra um mexico i mean we we, there are more and more that are saying hey you know yeah i want i want part of the decaf market as well and we are already a specialty coffee so why don't we put some coffee towards the the decaf market um and so we're seeing more and more of these uh, small collectives of specialty coffee going in that direction. So our, our options, I think are, are growing a little bit better than they, they have in the past. Um, but you know, we still have, well, I, I think we still have a long way to go till we can get, you know, more options. I think initially to answer your first part of that question too, our goal, so since Eric still enjoys regular coffee, we kind of felt like we would have like a 70-30 split, like 70% we'd have decaf um, and 30% we'd have regular. And by by that, it kind of meant like maybe seven different single origins of decaf and maybe three regular. And that was just kind of a ballpark goal for us, like trying to figure out how to do that. But um, the challenge, it, there, the challenge lies in that, while there are a lot of people that do need decaf, if you're looking at the entire coffee market, it's only, it's not a lot. And so, so we, we have to be careful. We, we need to, the challenge is figuring out how much coffee to buy that we, our green coffee doesn't sit longer than one season, but that we order enough that we don't run out so that we are with nothing until the next season. So that's the challenge that we're still trying to work through because as we grow and as our name gets out there as the decaf people, um, the demand is higher. So, uh, so we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, well, how many bags of this origin do we need? And is that one, you know, because we go through different origins differently. Some of them sell super fast and some of them don't move as quickly. And I don't know if that's just the flavor profile or I don't know. I mean, you know, how can you know, right? I mean, you test, you can market test, but still the answers aren't um, cut and dry. I feel like there's several factors that could play into that variables that, it's, it's hard to, you know, extrapolate exactly why one does better than another. So, uh, well, at, the, 
So we're still working At on that. At this time, and we're recording this in May, what is your number one selling decaf? The Sumatra moves really quick. Okay. I think the Sumatra is a really good one because it's a low acid coffee. It's a low elevation coffee. It is a coffee that is very smooth and rich. And um, so people really like that. The funny thing is on the flip side of that, I would say probably our Ethiopia, wouldn't mm -hmm. you say? Which is exactly the polar opposite <laughs> of the Sumatra. Right. Um, and it's funny, those are my two favorites. It just kind of depends on my mood. Um, the Ethiopian, of course, is br a brighter coffee and it's a fruity. It has a lot of undertones of blueberry and that's my favorite fruit of all time. So <laughs> I, I love that coffee. It's like my morning coffee. And so I don't know, I, I that's what I see going out because I do all the packaging and the ordering, the right. orders. That's what I see as a, as, a, as a constant. But what do you think, Eric? Um yeah, I, I pretty much agree 100%. But I think um, one of the ones that really gets um, people buying decaf, I think, is our Mexico. Oh. I think our, our Mexico um, coffee is is pretty um, pretty flavorful. And um, I think once people f taste it, they, they, they're like, oh, okay. And we also offer a... Um, Half a half calf in our Mexican. So um, what that does is it gives people a chance to kind of slowly come off the caffeine um, and have, you know, a drink that uh, has all those wonderful flavors in it. Um, and it's a little bit easier for them to say, oh, let me try a bag of the full decaf now that I've had this half calf. And I've seen that happen, you know, a lot in, the, in, in roasting it. So now I'm going to ask you guys a this is going to be a difficult question. Prefacing, this is going to be a difficult question. Carol, you're going to go first. You're going to give Great. one answer. <laughs> Eric, you're going to give the next answer. I want to know all 10 of the coffee varieties that you're currently roasting. Okay, all 10. So Brazil, no, Colombia, no, no, Carol, Costa You only get to answer one. Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. I thought you wanted all nope. 10. You're, Eric has to answer one. You guys have to go back and forth. I want to see okay. if we goof up. Okay. Right. okay. So she said Brazil. So then I'll say Colombia. Right. Costa Rica. Um, after Costa Rica, let's see. Alphabetically would be uh, El Salvador. Yeah. Ethiopia. Um, uh, Guatemala. Honduras. Uh, uh, that would be Mexico. Uh, Peru. Um, after Peru would be Sumatra. And that's it. For, and that's that's it. it for decaf. Okay. Decaf, yeah. All right. That wasn't and as much fun for me as I thought it would be. I was waiting for you to double up. <laughs> well, then our account, we, we still have a few uh, regulars too. So we have Brazil. Okay. We have um, uh, Costa, Rica. Costa Rica. We have Ethiopia. El Salvador. And, and El Salvador. And uh, Mexico. And Mexico. All right. So, Eric, this question is for you. As the roaster, are okay. any of those more challenging? I mean, which one of the which one of your coffees is the most challenging for you to get the the most out of? Um, I would say the right now it would be the Costa Rica, and um, the reason is the Costa Rica is a pea berry. Okay. Um, and because it's a pea berry, um, it is, um, 
just a little bit harder to, um, uh, I can make mistakes on it really quickly okay. and, and have it go, you know, um, crazy. Um, and when I say crazy, that means it just goes, it, it hits first crack and then just goes nuts. Okay. And the next thing I know it's gone way too dark. Okay. Um, and so that, that's been the one that um, I have found right now that's been, been a challenge. Is there one that's more forgiving? It's, you know, that... Peru. Peru? Okay. Yeah. The Peru is just more forgiving. Um, it, it, we it, call that our dessert coffee because it's just really smooth and it's sweet. I don't know. It's a, it's a good coffee and it seems, yeah, it seems like it just... Whether it's little, if it's medium or if it's like medium dark or even if it's little medium light, like it just seems like no matter the range of that, it always, it, it always, always tastes flavorful. good. Yeah, yeah, it's always very flavorful. Okay. And uh, yeah. That. So you, you opened in 2018, right? Yep. Have you sold in all 50 states yet? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I'm not um, sure which we ones haven't we're mapped it. I mean, that's something we we we've planned to do, but we never we never you know put the cycles in to okay. do it. Um, I always find it really exciting though because we ship um, coffee to Hawaii. That that to me is always just like I'm sending my coffee to a coffee state, mm-hmm. you know, a coffee growing state, and that that always you know, makes me, but that's because that's because it's decaf. Yeah. Right. You know? So yeah, because they don't, they don't send their coffees up to Swiss water. Okay. I'm going to guess that you sell most of your coffee in Washington state. That's just, you know, no, no. Okay. No, most of our coffee goes to the East coast. Interesting. Um, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, North Carolina, DC, send a lot of coffee to DC, um, uh, Florida, um, Tennessee. Yeah. And then a lot of the Midwestern states. Really? I'm, I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what you get for having a, you know, just an opinion. And be. Well, we find it odd too, because we figure, well, I mean, we're thrilled. We're thrilled that, you know, we're super thankful, but we always find it interesting. It's like, there must be a local roaster closer to them. And we find it interesting that they would choose us. But, but again, it's because of the Swiss water decaf, you know, that that's not just varieties, you know, I mean, you know, it's pretty, we have a, um, one of our, our offerings is a full, offering of all of our decafs in four ounce bags Mm -hmm. okay so we get a lot of folks on the east coast that will buy the full offering um and you know you 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 have you know 10 bags of four ounce um you know bags of coffee um so you can get through that Mm -hmm. You know, you can you can then sample all those different coffees and determine. Oh yeah, I like this one more than this one. But it, it, it's it's um, it's they're not overloaded with with decaf in the sense of you know they don't, they don't buy a five pound bag of just one um, variety and then have to you know drink that for the whole you know months <laughs> coming along. So that that is really um, a, a 
one of the, the offerings that people are drawn to. Are you doing this? These questions are always challenging because of, you know, the pandemic. Are you, are you currently doing any farmer's markets? Yes. Yeah, we are. We, this year we're doing one in our local town of Sultan. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting. It's, it's new. They started it last year. Um, and we were only able to do one show last year because we had commitments with a couple of other locations. So this year we decided to stay closer to home and kind of focus on the, the truly local, local people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing kind of a modified schedule because we still do have young children at home. Right. And this market happens to be on a Saturday. And so not the best day of the week for us as a family. Um, so yeah, but we are, and it's nice. We, um, we either brew samples for them in the, in the cold weather, which hopefully, hopefully (laughs) warmer will come soon. Um, but, uh, when it is warmer and sunny, we, um, we sell nitro cold brew in both regular and decaf and, um, it's really great. It's on tap. It's great. I'll ask that question enough. I, I need to discuss nitro cold brew with you later. Um, but that's a private conversation. I'm not going to share that with the public. Um, well, and with gas at $5 a gallon, it it's, makes economic sense to stay close to home instead of t- driving to, you know, 30 miles to another farmer's market type thing. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, we could geek out on roasting. We could geek out on varieties, but I think, I think the question I want to, I want you to address is talking crow. That's an unusual name for a coffee company. There must be a story. Well, we're, yeah, well, we're an unusual coffee roastery. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, Talking Crow actually has a, a meaning. Um, so when I was a young boy, um, I had uh, a myriad of pets, wild animal pets. Um, and one of them um, was a crow named Tony. And um Tony was very, um, I would say, intelligent. Um, he started mimicking everything we'd say. Um, he'd mimic the dogs we had, the cats we had. I mean, he would just mimic. Um, and he picked up saying phrases like, uh, don't fall, play ball, um, you know, and he, he just was a fun crow. But he and I were like best of friends. Like, you know, you would see, you know, somebody with their best dog, right? Well, I had my best crow and he would follow me everywhere. Um, And during school, he would um, follow me to school and he would fly along the school bus and, you know, um, just show up at school. Um, (laughs) And what would happen is in in the particular school I went to, uh, there were two different uh, lunch hours with recess. So the first lunch hour recess was for the general population of the school. The second um, hour recess and lunch hour for, was for the kids with special needs. Um, and Tony didn't like hanging out with the general population because they would tease him and throw rocks at him and and just be, you know, make his life miserable. Um but the kids during the special needs um, recess and lunch hour were kind and friendly and would feed him and um, would, you know, enjoy talking with him. Um, and this 
uh, one time there's a particular boy that had autism and just sat in the corner um, and would just rock and not communicate to anybody. Well, Tony and him kind of became friends because um, even though he was sitting there and he was intrigued by Tony and Tony would say hello and goodbye and play ball to him and, you know, just make all kinds of fun noises, the boy would, you know, be distracted by him. And so he started feeding uh, Tony Cheetos. And, you know, Tony was thought, those are the greatest things since sliced bread. You know, they're better than worms, <laughs> um, even though they look like them, right? So... <clears throat> um, this interaction between the two of them, you know, kind of grew. And um, this boy ended up teaching Tony how to count from one to 10 and to say his ABCs. And um, the, the um, teachers got, you know, were, were like blown away by this. It got and made it to the principal's office. And here I get called to the principal's office thinking that I'm in trouble because Tony's been stealing shiny toys again. You know, so here I'm going to the principal's office thinking, you know, oh, great, you know, um, I'm in trouble again. Um, and I enter the principal's office and there are newspaper reporters and they're like intrigued by my Tony and how he, you know, helped this little boy come out of his shell. So that's kind of the backstory of um, Talking Crow. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's that's. Where the name came from. That's a great story. That's, <laughs> that's a great story. Yeah. It's, it, it always brings me a little emotional because, you know, he was, he was a cool crow and, you know, and growing up with a pet like that is, you know, um, I don't know, pretty special. Yeah. No, that's, I just, the visual of Tony flying along the bus on the way to school, just kind of. Oh, those stories. Yeah, kind of, I mean, there was one time where, um, I was, we were going to school and usually what I would do is in the morning I'd go out and I'd, I'd feed Tony and my other creatures. And we haven't, we had a, I had a pretty large aviary. And what I would do is I would just shut the door with Tony in there because I knew he'd follow me to school. Right. And my mom would then later on, um, after I left would let him out and you know, he would just, he would stay around. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but this, one of these particular mornings, you know, um, I had gone up, done my chores, but I didn't shut the door. And of course, I get on the bus and we're going into school. And here's Tony flying alongside the school bus. And I tell the bus driver, I said, hey, can you pull over? I need to walk my crow home. And the bus driver says, I'm not pulling over for you. I mean, it's just a bird. And all the kids in the bus are going, no, that's his pet, Tony. You know, you need to pull over. He needs to walk him home. <laughs> and so the bus driver is like, Okay, whatever, you know, so she pulls over the bus and I get out. And of course, you know, I call Tony down into my arm and, and I say, Tony, say hello. And he says hello to her. And she's just like, oh, I don't believe what I'm seeing or hearing. And um, so she lets me, you know, she lets me off the bus and, you know, and I end up, you know, walking Tony home. And of course, my mom had to give me a ride back, back to school. So, but um it was just one of those type of things where people were like blown away by, you know, the, this, this crow. And so that, from that point on, the, the bus driver would, would ask me, so did you lock Tony up today? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's fine. He's, he's not going to follow me today. So, but yeah, that was kind of the fun stuff. How did you, 
encounter Tony? Um, well, like I said, I was kind of, I, I was kind of one of those kids who lived out in the woods, sure. right? So, um, I always had wild pets. And so, um, a friend of ours had a, um, was, uh, doing some work in their, you know, on their property and they cut down some trees. And of course they, they had some baby birds and they knew my dad from his, his store. Right. And so, um, they brought Tony uh, in, they said, Hey, we know your kid is kind of into this kind of stuff. You know, we have this baby crow and he wasn't that babyish. I mean, he was, um, he was, a uh, 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 basically a fledgling. So he had, he had most of his feathers and everything. So I had figured, you know, he's going to be with me for a short time, mm-hmm. you know, I'll feed him, get him back to good and health. And I just let him go. Well, he never left. <laughs> he just became part of the family and, and, um, and stayed with us and just kept on mimicking. And, and it's, it's funny. I mean, I got a picture of him, our great Dane, our Yorkshire terriers, and I think three of our cats all laying on a bed together. So yeah, it's pretty funny. Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Has the name created conversations with your customers? Do they ask why? Why? Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There are a lot of crow lovers out there. And um, I think a, a few people have similar situations where they feel like they can communicate with crows that uh, are on their own properties. And um, so, yeah, it's been really interesting. And we hear the story a lot. There was a gentleman, and I think he did it through the UW, uh, where he did a study on crows and um, where he was unkind to uh, some and they remembered him. And then he went back with a mask on and with the mask, they were, they didn't bother him or pay him any attention. But the minute he did not wear that mask, they recognized him and they did not like him at all. And the, the cool thing about crows is that they, they communicate the dangers of people and places to their, their babies and those, that offspring. So they're a really, interesting creature. And I think they fascinate a lot of people. So yeah, lots of times um, they want to know why talking crow, uh, which is great, but they, they just, you know, they ask us too, like, do you have merch? Because we love crows. We just want the crow. (laughs) So have you, have you provided merch to the crow enthusiasts? Yes, we do. We have hoodies and sweatshirts and I think that's and it. T-shirts and, and t-shirts. Okay. Um, we did mugs. Um, we did pins for a while and stickers. We always have stickers. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, you know, people are, people like that kind of okay. stuff and, and, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll come by and go, Oh, I like that sweatshirt. And they'll buy the sweatshirt basically because it has a crow on it. Yeah. And I'm like, Hey, that's fine. You know, well, Hey, if they're not, it's advertisement, it's advertisement. you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. What's, what's next? What's well, we have an exciting new product well that's, here. Yeah, that's launching. Um, we're going to launch it next week, but I suppose for you listener, your listeners, they'll know early. Well, this but will be, unfortunately, um, this will come out. It'll, it'll be launched. <laughs> so good. They can find <laughs> it'll, be it. it'll be launched. Yeah. Okay. So we've got something that's new for us. It's called steeped coffee. Okay. And so it is our specialty coffee that has been roasted specifically for this method. Um, We're working with the company called Steeped. 
And it is essentially um, our um, ground coffee that's been nitrogen um, sealed into a bag. So you brew it um, and you, you know, like you would um, tea bag. like tea. It's brewed like tea. So it's totally um, travelable. It just comes in a small packet. All you need is hot water. You don't need a bunch of equipment. Uh, you don't need a scale or anything. But of course, it's still specialty grade. It's still single origin. It's still a great option for when you know you're going to want decaf, but you're not going to have it available to you. Like if you want to travel on the plane, all you need to ask for is hot water, you know, or if you want to take it camping, you know, and you can heat hot water on your fire pit, but you don't want to take all the apparatus with you to make a great cup of coffee. So we're super, super excited to offer that. And it makes fabulous cold brew because it's just so easy to make it that way. Uh, you know, you don't have to measure anything or think about it. You just, it's however many, you know, however many coffee bags you want into however much water you want overnight, like super easy okay. and super easy for single serve, which I think is a challenge for cold brew because usually you make it in massive amounts. You know, and if maybe you don't want that much, you just want to cut. Why wouldn't so you want that much? Are, I mean, really, come on. I, <laughs> I agree, but anyway, so we're super excited about that. Well, that that is very. So cool. we did that in our in our Guatemala. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's we're kind of um, it's it's definitely um, a financial commitment on our side, and so we started with one. We started with um, with our favorite. Um, Swiss water processed Guatemala, because that one is, um, it's just, that one's a good one. That was, was a good one for this method. So we started with that. And, um, and then if, if it gets a lot of traction and people love it, mm -hmm. then we'll proceed with more. So you mentioned there's a, is there, there's a different roasting process to this? Um, not really different, but, um, to make the the steeped, I had to you know definitely go um, uh, a full medium. Okay. Um, they 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 don't want it um, dark and they don't want it light. So they they want it to be a real true full medium. Um, so um, that's that was the just for their um, way of um, I would say preserving flavor yeah. and um and they grind it to like a specific very specific um grind size consistent that. grind size and then that whole package is nitrogen sealed so that to keep the freshness in so um so it's not just like pre-ground stale coffee right so you're not so that was so your your part in this is it's your roast it's it's the beans that you're sourcing you're roasting the beans Correct. and then Yep. They're handling the rest. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. They, they provide compost. It's compostable packaging. Right. Um, the really nice thing is um, there aren't any staples or tape or weird things for the string, mm -hmm. you know, on the bag. So they have that whole process covered and we just roast and deliver our product to them. Nice. That's, yeah. that's exciting. Because that's great if you're hiking too. I mean, it, like leave no trace. It's, exactly. it's super, yeah. super simple. Hiking or like I said, traveling or, or, you know, um, you don't want to measure out a bunch of coffee or whatever. You can just grab a bag and just throw it in a cup. And we'd like to see this particular product get into um, different places that are health conscious where, 
you know, typically they, they have some sort of beverage that's offered Mm -hmm. to someone, but this way, so instead of tea, they could offer Swiss water processed decaf. That's just as convenient, you know, um, we'd love to offer it too, like in a bed and breakfast where it's their evening coffee available in the room. But, um, but I think that will take a special location. So we're kind of trying to think where it would fit best. Mm -hmm. It's like chiropractic offices, um, natural path offices, you know, places like that, that, you know, people are more, more, um, health conscious. Um, but you know, they, these, those offices have, you know, something available to them. Usually it's tea, right. right? Um, and, uh, or Keurig with, you know, those, the, those icky cups. Um, but you know, yeah, so we kind of want to change that a little bit and say, Hey, you know, you can get rid of the Keurig machine and you're already have supplying hot water for your tea. So we just going to, you know, we'll offer you this. And I think, I I think it's a good venue. The challenge is coming out of the pandemic. I've noticed not a lot of offices are offering anything to drink anymore. So um, it may be more like the fitness centers and other places, you know, that have like a juice bar kind of a thing. So, um, but we'll see. We'll see. In the meanwhile, though, as far as just a single consumer, it's 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 super convenient and easy. And I think it'll I think it'll make a lot of people happy this summer. OK. So when you're not roasting coffee. And. All those other things, what do you guys like to do for fun? What what's what's the family like to do for fun and excitement? We like to just be outside. There are a lot of trails um that are like bikeable and I don't mean dirt paths. I mean, like there's like, you know, the Burt Gilman trail or there's the Centennial trail. Those are here on the West side. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, I like to ride my bike. Uh, my husband is a long boarder and my children follow in his footsteps very closely. So, um, we like to get out and skate at different skate parks or kind of ride around the path. And, um, you know, we like to, we like to play board games and, um, but it's a beautiful state. So we like to get out and it's kind of hard here on the West side of Washington because when it's sunny, you kind of tend to drop everything and enjoy the one day. The one day. Um, so yeah, we try to not take that for granted when the sun shows itself here. But you're fairly close. You could, you're just, you're not, you're just on the other side of Stevens. You can get over to Eastern Washington pretty easy. That's true. You, know, you can. Yeah. It's, oh. it's an hour. And but I'll be, minutes. I'll be honest with you weather here in Wenatchee lately this year I you could blindfold me and I think I'm in I think I'd be on the west side it's in the 50s and drizzly and gray and I'm like I want to like go after my real estate agent who sold me this house oh wait that was me um "Hmm, the weather has not been great this this spring it's just been and when you know we tried to uh record with you guys this you know we're going to record this winter and you know and I was getting, getting from here to you. Wasn't going to be easy. Stevens, you know, no. Stevens was not cooperating. So. Ton of snow. But yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I, I do want to give the audience a couple of minutes of long board. What do you, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so, well, there's, there's a couple of different forms of long boarding. So there's um, long boarding, which is um, you basically just, push around and, and, uh, free ride, basically just 
get on a, a longboard that's about 36 inches long, um, whereas a typical a typical uh, skateboard is around 24 inches. Okay. Um, so, you know, a longboard's longer. Um, longboards give you a little bit more stability. Um, and, and so in turn, it, it, you cruise more than, than, um, uh, doing more tricks. Um, and the thing with longboards is the wheels are larger, so you're not impeded by that little tiny pebble, um, that can stop you and give you a terrible, uh, owie. Um, but, uh, so that's, that's kind of the, the equipment, um, and then there's, uh, in the longboarding world, so there, there's cruising and freeboarding, right? And then there's what's called this push, um, which is um, you race um, in races that are like um, marathons. So you do miles. Um, and just like you do, you run a, a marathon, you push a marathon. Um, and so that's, a, that's another... Oh, wait a second. You're, you're saying you're, you're going to do a you're going to ride a board for twenty some miles? Um, actually, two hundred. Let's see. The there's a race that happens in Miami, and it's um, two hundred miles in twenty four hours or more. And so, um, yeah, it's there's a lot of different push races. Oh. Um, but that's not what he does. Instead, he does the crazy version. Well, let me, let well me, I don't let know. Me 200 continue. miles on a board seems pretty crazy. I'm just going to interject. Well, that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, I mean, okay. You got uh, me there. Yeah. It's, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, so that's that's one um, uh, form of longboarding. And then there's another form of longboarding, which is longboard dancing. So basically what happens is you have a longboard and you do these spectacular dance moves as you're cruising um, down the road. Now it's more done on flat surfaces. And, um, and so that's another form of longboarding. And then you get to my form of longboarding, which is downhill. So, um, we take and go and build our boards so that they go very fast, um, using gravity. Um, what, and what do you so mean very fast? So, um, anywhere between, um, 30 to, uh, 90 miles an hour going downhill on a skateboard, standing up. Um, and the only thing between you and the ground is about four inches of, uh, your, between you and the, and the pavement is about four inches. So we're going to, I'm going to stop um, you because yeah. this is going to be a whole nother episode. That I'm going to make the audience <laughs> tune into. So we're going to okay, go into greater depths of this death defying 90 mile an hour craziness that you're talking about. Yeah. But how did you get, but, but I am going to ask you this qu last question about longboarding. How did you get started in this? Uh, it's kind of weird. I mean, I grew up skateboarding. Okay. I mean, I've always been an avid skateboarder, you know, um, okay. the skate parks, the, you know, just street skating and that the whole skateboard crowd has been who I've been, okay. you know, growing up. Um, not until the movie, um, the, Secret, the Life. Secret Life of Walter Mitty came out. And my wife and I were watching this movie and um, she, she turns to me and there's one scene where this guy's skateboarding down this, this hill. And she turns to me and she goes, 
I bet you, you could do that. And I was like, wow, I would really like to do that. That looks like fun. And so, of course, like I said, I'm a researcher and I like to look for things and look how to do them. Um, and that following Father's Day um, at Mary Hill, they were offering the uh, a, a class on downhill skateboarding. Um, and... Um, it was, uh, the Mary Hill, uh, Mary Hill university. Um, um, and I was like, I want to do this. And before that, when he was researching and he, I'll never forget because he kind of elbowed me in bed. I think he was on his laptop looking and he was like, there's a track in Washington. We've got to go. So there you go. (laughs) So so I went out and bought. You know, Carol, you uh, do realize you're responsible for this by pointing it out in the movie. I I hate to to Um, put that out there, but yeah. Hmm. So I went out and bought my first longboard. And then, you know, I started putzing around with this longboard, getting in, getting, you know, excited about this first class that we're going to take. And, and I started using longboarding as my way of commuting. Um, And um, we went to this, I took this class. It was an all day, uh, it was a three day weekend at Mary Hill. Um, and the first day was the introduction to, to longboarding and your equipment and how to properly fall, um, and how to stop, um, all things that were, that are good. Um, and then this next two days were, you know, improving your technique going down the hill. Um, so the first day, like I said, was, quite, you know, enjoyable learning. Um, the second day we were brought up the hill and, um, told to go down. And (laughs) of course I went straight down, um, foot braked, you know, quite a few times on the way down. But after that first run, this next run up, I didn't foot brake anymore. You know, I was just like, I, this is fun and this is exciting. And, um, I started just bombing the hill and I just was like hooked um, from that point on. And um, it's quite the camaraderie of different people from around the world that, that do this. Um, And that's really exciting. And then to have my kids, you know, go, Hey dad, this is fun too, um, to come along. Um, You know, in the beginning they just would watch. Um, But as they, you know, watched me do it, you know, um, they got more and more, um, involved in it. Um, and so, I mean, all of my kids skateboard or do some sort of gravity, um, sport in the sense of for Mary Hill. So, um, my three youngest daughters that live with us right now, they all do luge. Um, and, uh, that's very fast and they're laying down on their backs, um, going down the hill. Um, their uh, older uh, brothers, uh, two of their older brothers, one of them does gravity trike and the other one does gravity bike. Um, and then their other older sister um, was doing the skate dancing. Um, and then my oldest daughter was, is does skate parks with her husband. So, yeah, it's okay. it's kind of, you know, Carol. And I am the normal one. I just take pictures of everybody and I stay, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm the I'm the designated driver in case anybody gets hurt, you know, the sane one. So, Carol, I'm going to ask, have you have you ever have you ever tried longboarding downhill? Um, 
Yes, I have. Okay. And I, and I'm terrible. So, I, yes. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll, we're we're going to unpack that one next time. Okay. There you go. So I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask you both an impossible question. I know it's impossible, but you're going to play along. Okay. You can only roast one type of coffee. That's it. No more. Or you can only drink one type of coffee. No more. What's it going to be? That is an impossible (laughs) question. That's not fair. But it's my show. I get to ask the impossible questions. (laughs) Okay. So um, for me, because... um, you know, I'm a regular drinker and a decaf drinker, so I drink both, right? So I would have to say if I had to only roast one and drink one, it would be my Mexico. Okay. And for me, like, at first I was going to say the Ethiopia because it's always so good. Like, it's always so good. But I feel like sometimes the Sumatra holds up better if it's a milk-based drink because it doesn't have that kind of acidic... Um, ling- totally linger sure. to it. Okay. So that's why I'm torn. I, right. I, you know, it just depends on the mood I'm in. Do I want a latte or do I want an Americano? So that kind of dictates what I go to. Right. So I drink 99.9% of the time I drink Americanos or I just pr- drink espresso. Okay. okay. That's, that's kind of what I drink. Right. Um, Carol drinks uh, fufu drinks. Okay. She, she likes, you know, yeah, she likes, but the, I don't, I don't add sweetener. It, 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 I don't yeah. add sweetener and it's, and I don't, you know what? I don't drink them that often, but <laughs> sometimes, you know what? I just, I feel like, you know, again, it's par and course, like I'm sensitive to caffeine. I'm sensitive to chemicals. And once in a while, my stomach just doesn't want the extra acid from coffee. So that's why, you know, if you temper it with some milk, it helps a little bit. So it just kind of depends on how I'm feeling. It isn't so much like, oh, I have to have a sugary drink. It's just that I'd like coffee, but does my stomach want coffee? You That's know, true. does yeah. that make sense? All right. Me. With regards to talking <laughs> crow, what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Uh, Let's see. We, we roast on an ash air roaster. You asked that. Um, Um, we have our roastery on our own property on the top of a a small mountain here in uh, Washington um, surrounded by you know evergreens and cedars Um, I think the most important thing is where people can find us so we are predominantly online so talkingcrowcoffeeroasters.com uh, we have Instagram, which is where we predominantly hang out. Uh, we do have Facebook and a Pinterest account, um, but you can order from us online. And if you're local, um, you can find us at the Sultan Farmer's Market. Perfect. Well, thank you both. I will say this. Thank you. So when we sat down in person, the time that I messed everything up, I had your, <laughs> I had your coffee. You prepared, you prepared coffee for me. I took a bag of Sumatra home. This is a unsolicited endorsement, but it's very tasty. I enjoy it a great deal. Good. I'll probably deny that, although I just pushed this for recording. But no, in all seriousness, uh, your Sumatra is was delicious. Um, drinking, consumed it at home. I, I drink most of my coffee using an AeroPress. It worked really, really well in the AeroPress. Um, 
yeah, thumbs up. We love to hear that. We love to hear that. Thank you. And it's such a privilege to talk with you again, but you know, that's how you make a friendship, right? right. So we just appreciate you having us on. All right. Well, thank you both for making the time to be here today. Yeah, thank you're you. so welcome. And, and like I said, get back to me about the longboarding. Yeah. And cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.